2: Hello, I'm Gary Mansfield, and welcome to the Mizog Art Podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by banging these bongos. Yeah, right. Crazy. Hello, and welcome to episode number 51 of the Mizogart Podcast. This week I've got a proper little treat in store for you. I'm taking you to meet Maggie Hambling, who is without question one of the UK's greatest figurative painters. I first saw Maggie on a TV programme while I was in prison round about 1996. Not only was I blown away by her amazing artwork, but I oh so admired her mischievous, almost intimidating personality. On that TV programme, she was giving short, blunt answers. But I'm sure that I saw like a little glint in her eye that convinced me that she was almost up to something. And she's been one of my favourite painters ever since. I have tried contacting Maggie for, for a few years now, one to be a part of my face value exhibitions or to invite her to be on this podcast, but to no avail. However, soon after I was invited onto the board of the Kersler Trust, I found out she was officially opening our show in Suffolk, which was called A Feeling We All Share, which was at the Snape Maltings. I was attending that opening, so I figured I'd take my chance, choose my moment and go and say hi. I did mention to a few fellow artists that I was going to invite her on the show. All three, in no uncertain terms said, yeah, I wish you luck with that. They said that either they or someone they know had been in her company and come away not knowing where they stood. One said she felt a little intimidated by her. Now that was ringing in my mind and didn't fill me with confidence when I was in a car park at the Snape Maltins and saw Maggie Hamblin walking towards me. I had previously thought about the situations I've got myself into in the past. I've got into scrapes with gangs People with knives, bats and even guns. I don't get easily intimidated. So I walked over to this lady, who was a good foot shorter than I was, held out my hand and introduced myself. And within about a minute and a half, she took my misguided confidence, rolled it in a ball, threw it in the air and like our American cousins would say, she hit it out the park. But I must admit, I did have the courage to be persistent. I spoke to her a couple of more times throughout the evening and ended up sitting outside the venue with her on a table for about maybe 10 minutes where I finally plucked up the courage to ask her to be on the podcast and, well, as the title of this podcast indicates, she agreed. When I went to meet Maggie in her studio just last week I mentioned that I was told by one particular artist that I would very probably walk out from her studio unsure whether our interview went well or not, or even the sort of impression that I would leave on Maggie. But also said you'll very probably find out either way, but only when she's ready. So come and join me in Maggie Hamlin's studio and see if you can figure out which way she took me.
3: Your hand is shaking. <laughs> I'm
2: terrible. I don't know what it is. It's um it's like with anything Yeah, I'll be no good in the bomb squad.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'll be in pieces, won't I? Well, so with everyone else. (laughs) we will all be blown to bits. Yeah, there'll be
2: nothing left of us. This afternoon, I'm in the studio with Maggie Hambling. Um, Maggie, I've got seven questions that I ask every artist. The first is, how would you explain what you do to someone that didn't know your work? I just asked them to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at Google. That's what Google's for. Um, you do a lot of work with the Kirster Trust, which is how I met you a couple of months ago up at the Snake Maltins. How did it come
3: about you working with those? Well, a great friend of mine was Stephen Tumim, mm. and he was Her Majesty's Inspector of Prisons at the time. Yeah. And so he asked me if I would do the judging with him, and we went. I think for about five years, we'd spend a, a day um, in whichever prison it was. Yeah. And uh, he, he always said he'd go down in history as the, the person who, who made in lavatories individu- did, he, he individual did. lavatories for prisoners, and wherever we went, uh, you know the 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 inmates the prisoners whatever you like to call them um, you know they saw Steve and they come and say hello yeah, they were yeah, all, yeah. all very very fond of him and uh, he from time to time he had to go and see Mrs Thatcher and he said she just walked up and down with her handbag over her arm and told him about the prisons. Oh. And so he never got a word in edgeways. <laughs> and every, I mean, every so often he said, well, uh, I think... And that's as far, as far as he got. Because she told him. So I mean, it's, it's quite a, quite
2: an achievement on his behalf to have a lot of prisoners going up to someone who's an authority figure and a judge at that, and treating them with decency. Because a lot of time they're seen as the enemy inside, you know.
3: No, no, he was very friendly to them all and they were obviously very fond of him. Well, that was and the story you told at
2: um, Snake Morton's that um,
3: he asked you not to concentrate too much on the <laughs> artworks <laughs> for Broadmoor. That's right. I mean, they, they, I do remember we got to lunchtime one day and and he begged me to choose something for a prize that wasn't done by someone at Broadmoor. But, I mean, but as, I mean all the best artists are completely mad. Of I mean, course. it's quite clear that... Uh, that uh, these were the best pictures. Oh, yeah. So uh, then I had to, you know... I had to a lot of prize to some. The 500th portrait of Princess died obviously done from a photograph. Yeah. I had to just relent, you know, just for once. Yeah, yeah. But far the, by far the best paintings were always done by people at Broadmoor. Yeah, yeah of, course, of course. They've, uh, yeah, they've
2: got a, a little bit deeper... Th- to, to look haven't they to, to pull something out. See there's a, there's a good little story that I've got regarding me coming out of one of my first days out from prison. I was allowed out for a day on a Sunday and my friend's sister and I went to um, went to London and I was telling her a story that Patrick Hughes who we were just talking about, I'd wrote to him and said to him that I'd gone, out, I'd been able to go outside for the first time after I moved from a secure prison into a less secure one. I was allowed out of the night time, and it was raining. And for four or so years, I hadn't been allowed out of the night or in the run for security reasons. And I said to Patrick, I just stood there looking up at the into the sky, and he replied with a a, um, a quote that I had not heard of before. All of us are in the gutter, but only a few of us. Some of us are looking at the stuff. Yes. So, when we were walking around London, I was telling this story to this girl, Christine, and her sock had shot down into her shoe, so she took her shoe off to pull her sock Mm. up. And I was telling her the story, and I sat down on your sculpture, not knowing what it was, and I'd sat down right on the the arse end of it, the arse end sat down right the flat bit I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glad you sat on the flat <laughs> yeah but I, the bag I had I'd put on the bit that came up that had the quote on it but I'm telling her this story and as I looked around I went oh, my god these Oscar Wilde and I'm telling you now and I knew that it was his phrase and I've stood up I've picked the bag up as we were about to walk off and I saw that quote just there and it was I've always thought that was one of those moments when sort of all the stars aligned for me, you know.
3: Well, I, have to, I had a moment like that when, you know, I'd made the, I'd made the maquette, the model for scholar, yeah. you know, the sculpture on Albro Beach. Uh, and, uh, the, the, you know, unlike most public sculpture, it wasn't commissioned. I yeah. wanted to do yeah, it. Yeah. So I had to set about, with uh, the help of uh, one or two very important people, trying to get the money together uh, to make the sculpture and we'd only just begun all this writing to people and, and trying to get money to make the blinking thing and mm. and I was lying on the beach at Albra and I looked up into the sky and quite, you know, clouds make tons yeah, yeah. of faces and formations of things but suddenly in this sky <laughs> that I was looking up at there became the perfect formation of a bird in flight with nice. wings and it sort of moved through the sky and it was one of those moments that that gave me some some kind of ridiculous hope in yeah, the, in yeah. the you know because everything looked as though scallop wasn't going to happen but i saw this and at that moment i somehow you know, the faith began in me that it was going to be made yeah. and it was going to happen, and eventually it did. I think those moments are very important. Because I like the story behind that, because he he come from man that area, didn't he, Oprah? Benjamin, Yeah, yeah, it was very important that Scallop stands on the bit of beach that Benjamin Britten used to walk every day, and, you know, the sound of the sea inspired him. Because the, the town didn't want to acknowledge him or something, wasn't it? That's right. That's what made me angry. It's oh, made me great. want to do it. I love it. That's, that's what made me want to do yeah, it. Right I thought, fuck all, bruh. <laughs> you, know, the mo- you know, his, his most important <coughs> yeah. son, and you know, they don't want yeah. any kind of memorial to yeah. him. And that's so what made me angry. A... So that's why I thought, right, I'm going to do something myself. And I didn't. It's still, when I drive past it, uh, you know from between Auburn and Thorpe Ness, it still kind of amazes yeah, me that, yeah. that it's there. That it's still there. And of Did course you the have to get pi- permission for it to Oh yes, yes, all. but I got a lot of help both in getting the money together and yeah. then all the planning permissions and stuff. Some Simon Loftus, who at the time was the chairman of Adnam's brewery, you know, in oh, yeah, Rome, yeah. he helped me enormously. I couldn't have done it without him. And Jonathan Ricky, who ran the Snape Maltings at the time, he, they were both very helpful with sort of meetings and things. Yeah. And Simon in particular helped me, helped me writing letters to everybody for money. Nice. And all that. Yes, I couldn't have done it without them. And, and it was very important that it was on the bit of beach that he walked every day yeah. with his dogs because, you know, the sounds of the sea
2: yeah.
3: have inspired a lot of his music.
2: I well, like the way it gets repurposed. In the moment, by people who are visiting it, whether it be kids or people walking past, someone might sit on it and use it as a bench, or you know, it,
3: it does get repurposed. You know, by who, whomever actually well, passing. Well, yes, very, it? very user friendly. I mean, I can, you know, its its sort of subtitle is a conversation with the sea, right? Yeah. And I s- conceived it to be um, a place where someone sort of feeling miserable or lonely or whatever they were feeling walking on their own along that bit of beach could rest and you know look contemplate the horizon because when you contemplate where the sea meets the sky you know you Mm. think about more important things like life and death and the rest of it than you know than getting a new fridge freezer or something and but I I mean I really didn't know that children dug in shingle. I thought they dug in sand. I mean <laughs> they're forever no about, digging yeah. and digging and digging in the shingle to find out how it stands yeah. there because it it I mean it, it should look as though it's just dropped yeah, from heaven yeah, yeah, yeah. or that it it's somehow come up, up whatever, yeah. washed up or come up from underneath the shingle. So you know, and it does it does like that like that. But I I mean it's always whatever time of the year it's covered in children. That's great. Um, lovers, I think, have made <laughs> made use of it. its, uh, you know, its it's uh, nether regions, and people have had marriages it's at it. a bit of graffiti as well, hasn't it? Oh, 13, t- 13 lots of graffiti. <laughs> Very boring, always the same. Yeah. Tin can, tin can move it, or happy Christmas tin can move it, mm. or happy Easter tin can, no imagination yeah.
2: at all. Oh, so you wouldn't mind if there was a bit of a...
3: A bit of thought gone into it. Well, if it was a bit of poetry, I might have quite liked it. <laughs> well, it has got the words uh, going through it itself. It doesn't need any more words, you know. Yeah. The, I hear those voices, that will not be drowned from Peter Grimes, because I thought we've all got voices inside us, it'll mean something to everyone. Mm-hmm. But it it's amazes me, there's all times of, year there are people there. And the people who were originally against it, and determined to get rid of it, I you know one or two people have said to me, of course they're the same people. If they decide to take it away, you know they'd be just as angry. Yeah. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've adopted it. Yeah, and it's and made all. No Albra- doubt saying that they wanted it in the first place. Well, whatever. <laughs> I know it's brought a good trade to the fish and chips and uh, <laughs> the ice creams in Albury, so I think they'd be a bit silly to anyway. But one morning, because I used to go and. That time I was going very early in the morning and drawing the sea every morning and I did and I went along to one of the fishermen f- to buy some fish in the early morning and we didn't usually say anything to each other you know we just say, rrr, rrr, <laughs> rrr", and then this but at the height of the controversy about the whole thing i said to, I said to this fisherman, I said, "Well, do you think the sculptures going to stay there or not?" And he said, only one thing going to sort that out. And I said, oh, what's that? A bit nervously, and he said, Davy Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, he's, he's quite right, because, yeah, you know, yeah. the sea is eroding that bit of Suffolk and Norfolk and the whole time, you know, changing the coastline, and uh, Scallop may very well in 20 years be under the sea. Yeah. Who knows? Is he, is, does the tide come in that far so well, far? Well, no, when it was <coughs> first installed... The sculpture was far closer to the sea than mm. it is now, but the sea has come in at Thorpe Ness, you know, taken the the land in, yeah. and it's gone out around Scallop and then in again, so it's actually further from the sea than when it was first That's put there. Making itself a little island. When was your first interest in art? Well, I'm... I'm an artist, really, by accident. I mean... I failed to get into Ipswich High School where my sister had gone, I failed the exam, so I went to a school called Amberfield, it's no longer there, which I was called the Duncey School, because <laughs> that's where you went if you didn't get into Ipswich School. I haven't school heard that there, word yeah. for donkeys. Anyway, I went to the Duncey School. My mother always said it was meant to be, because we were actually taught art by um, a professional artist, a real living artist, you know, she had exhibitions and yeah. things, a a real artist, called Yvonne Drury. She's dead now, but but uh, uh, that is what fate had arranged because I was I was a, I was always drawing. All the other girls were painting, and she came along to me and said, rather shyly, uh, that that she she was wondering if I was colorblind because everybody else was painting and I was just drawing. So I took that as a bit of an insult. So <laughs> I did a painting to show I wasn't colour blind, yeah. you know. Uh, but then there was an art exam when I was 14, and I did nothing but flick paint at people and draw attention to myself because I was deeply in love with a biology mistress who was invigilating the exam, mm. right? And then I saw the clock, it was 20 past three, and I realised at half past three I had to hand in a painting, so I did one. And when the results came out, about two or three weeks later, I was top of art. Oh, nice. and that was a greatest surprise nice. to me. I thought well, it was worth looking into yeah, this. Yeah. You know, if you if you obviously got hidden talent. You know, it's, well, if you don't have to try and you're good at it. And So, anyway. And for the <laughs> first one to go down that line, is there a piece
2: that you've created that's got the strongest emotional
3: connection to you, or what piece? Well, really, all create? my. I mean, all my work is a... You know that thing, you make a work of art with the eye, the hand and the heart. Mm. Well, the heart is the, much the most important of those three. And my work is really um, about love. Uh, and I do destroy a lot of work. So anything that actually leaves a studio... Oh, you do? Oh, well. I reckon it's sort of all right. Um, yeah. No, 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 it's all about feeling for me.
2: You're saying that about artworks leaving the studio. I like that little quote you gave once that, um, about controversial work. And it was something along the lines of, it wasn't controversial when it left the studio. It was. Uh, I thought that was a, a wise little line.
3: Well, I mean, it's, it's sort of this vast difference, you know, between, you know, I'm on my own making a painting or making a bit of sculpture... Of course, for scallop, I was working with the pegs for Albra. I mean, when you make sculpture, it does involve other people, of course. But in a painting, you're in a room on your own. And then, if you have an exhibition, I mean, having exhibitions is is the total opposite of making the thing. You know, it becomes show business. And and, uh, and you make a piece of work and... uh, like the Oscar Wilde was very controversial, and the sculpture was certainly controversial you can't tell that these things are going to happen, but I mean if something's controversial, it means it's got a bit of life to it because people yeah. are responding to it but I, I mean I've never set out to be controversial no. i mean see i couldn 't see
2: the controversy around the Oscar Wilde because it was just a great sculpture
3: i don 't know whether it's because it was in a coffin or above a coffin like. Well, he's supposed to be rising up out of the sarcophagus, still talking and laughing and smoking, you know. That was the idea of it. But, um, yeah, I know that...
2: It's got a different language now, hasn't it, to to that? It's it's not deemed as controversial anymore. Well, not as I'm aware, anyway. I'm quite cross with whoever keeps sawing the cigarette off. I saw saw that um, last week, actually, that that had gone. Because when I first saw it, the cigarette was there with its smoke coming I thought. What do you
3: think they do that for? Just for their little bit of Oscar Wilde stroke, Maggie Hambling, or? Well, I don't know. It's some lunatic anti-smoker. I don't know. I mean, the first cigarette was made of bronze, and was that, that much, was it, sawn off. That and much then bronze then... isn't going
2: to get anyone any money down at the.
3: No, no. I think it's. Yard, I think it? it's some lunatic who's against smoking. Is clearly not a civilized person. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then we made one of the pegs made me one out of stainless steel I oh yeah. saw through that pretty damn quick and then the third cigarette was made of hardened stainless steel which is what's is inside locks and the oh hard, yeah, hardest yeah, yeah. metal yeah. thing you can get in the entire universe and they still that, that could have took a couple of nights to saw through that <laughs> but then I gave up I thought whatever I make this cigarette with, it's a contemporaries. Off. it's a lunatic
2: <laughs> Same thing. Um, I mean, we, s- we were saying about cigarettes. You gave up at fifth. You was always famous for uh, for your for your smoking, or renowned rather. And I like the the little <laughs> the little story that when you was on a TV um, discussion, they said you wasn't to smoke, and you said that
3: if you can't smoke, you won't talk. That's correct. I think that is beautiful. <laughs> and I didn't. I didn't. It was a pilot scheme for an art quiz at Granada. <laughs> In Manchester. Oh, I love that. And then the following week, the, the, the HTV rang me up and said they were doing a pilot scheme for an art quiz. Would I? And I and I said, Well, I did one last week. It was bloody awful. And I didn't, didn't speak because I wasn't allowed to smoke. And they said, No, no, no. We're going to do it in Bristol. And George Melly is going to be the host. And you can, you know, you can smoke and do whatever yeah, you like. Yeah. And so that's and they and Channel Four chose the gallery one with George Mellie rather than oh. the Granada one. So that was fine. Everybody was completely drunk. <laughs> drunk, drunk the entire time. <laughs>
2: that makes it easier, doesn't it?
3: George Mellie had a, um, a nickname for you, didn't he? Maggie Coffin Hambling. I think that is brilliant. Well, he was a great friend of mine. Great friend. I miss him very much. And it's because of painting people drawing them in their coffins and going on painting them after they've died and all that. I and did it help think.
2: you with the process
3: of grieving, saying goodbye, or...? Of course. I think that's where... I mean, you know, you might, might feel like murdering somebody, for, <laughs> yeah. for instance. Uh, but if you, you know, if you, you can write... A, if you write operas, you could write an opera about it. You could write a piece of music about it. If you're a poet, you could write a poem about it. If you're a painter, you could... Paint it. I mean, that's uh, a lot less trouble. Um, and so, if if somebody, you know, you know perfectly well, somebody close to you dies, it's the same for anyone. Mm. I mean, that person goes on being alive inside you. Mm. So, I mean, after George Melly died, for instance, I went on painting him for a couple of years. But and it's sort of ironic, obviously, because yeah, George yes. had died, but I was trying to make these portraits mm. with as much life as possible. So, but yeah, it helps. It's like a, a positive way of grieving. Yeah, very lucky. Nice. Where do you go to relax? I watch Coronation Street <laughs> Get some whiskey lying on a sofa. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm passionate about tennis. I, so, I watch quite a bit of tennis. Oh, you watch, not play? I do play, uh, with three other ladies of a certain age. <laughs> I think we've got about three legs between us <laughs> on a public court on Sunday morning. That was a net, so it's not it. so
2: hard to knock
3: it over. No, no, We have the proper height of net. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but I wouldn't say that speed was no. a, a feature of our game. <laughs> I, um, I love it, I love it. If there was you and five
2: other artists past and present, what would your ideal group show B. Group
3: show? Well, who would you like to sort of... Well, I'd like Sarah in it, Sarah Lucas. Perfect. I mean, before we met, she was always my favourite of the so-called YBAs, and then we met on what happened to be our birthday, and we worked it out, I think about 2005 or something, we were in the colony in Soho, and... Somebody called Sebastian Horsley introduced us. He introduced us, and we discovered uh, uh, that it was our birthday, and we had an enormous hug. And then, you know, in due course, Sarah moved to Suffolk, and, and we've become great friends. So, you got the birthday on the same day or the same week? Same day. A few years between. Them, <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> the same day. But she's hung <laughs> Do. <laughs> I'm her artistic godmother. Yeah. Ah, now Sebastian Horsley, now he,
2: he wrote to me when I was away, when I was in jail. And um, you, you just said there that you're her sort of uh, adopted godmother. <laughs> he used to refer to you as his mother. Mother, yeah.
3: I called him my wicked son. He called me mother. Yeah. Wicked son. He, he was good <laughs> stuff. He was good stuff.
2: He Great actually... boy, they didn't make them like him no, anymore. It was a, yeah, that was a shame, wasn't it? Too, far too early. Who else would there be other than those two, do you think?
3: Well, I'd have to have Rembrandt. Of course. Because he'd knock everyone else for six. You see, a group show is a tricky thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's not about competition, but, <laughs> you know, if I if I could take... You've got to doff your cat to someone, eh? So, it's, it's quite a tricky question. I would put an Aarbach in it. I'm a great admirer of Aarbach. And Sarah and Rembrandt. How many people? Five, that's four. All right. Van Gogh. Van Gogh is a good one. Is that five? Is he that He's enough?
2: five. He's five. Would, would Bacon be in reserve?
3: Uh, oh, yes, we'd better put
2: Bacon. <laughs> well, we can, we can, we can Bacon. squeeze <laughs> him in <We> can <laughs> squeeze <laughs> him. <laughs> I we suppose we'll let him. He, um, yeah, I know that he was quite an influence to you at a younger age.
3: Yeah.
2: I um, when I was in prison, I just got into art. Bacon was um, was one of my favourites at that time. And then I then I done this um, like I used to do a little maths course, and I discovered the golden mean, or the you know golden yeah, section, whatever name it goes. The third,
3: for it's got something to do with thirds, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I no, can't remember what it. It is. it
2: is, yeah, it's pretty much third in and a third up or down whichever way you're going but um i know bacon's obviously very spontaneous and that method is very methodical because it's a method um and i laid it over his works and you saw that the points in which they were meeting the golden section were there was um points within bacon's work um and i was writing at the time to you know david lee Uh, crew. yeah, yeah, I haven't seen for a while. I sent it out to David to see what he thought of that, and uh, yeah, that that sort of done the rounds to different art critics. I mean, there was me, this sort of like con sitting in jail doing a this little art course, and I'm having me me work shown around to to him. Who Brian Sewell ended up with it in the end, and he said it was. uh, I got a letter from him saying it was brilliant, yet unfounded. (laughs) <laughs> which I, I sort of, I'll take that, I'll take that from, Deborah, from him. Deborah. He was good stuff, wasn't he?
3: Yeah, he became a great friend of mine in due course. I liked him. A lot of people didn't, but no, they, the, you know the, uh, At one point, several years ago, there were some sort of uh, art world people got together to write this letter to the Evening Standard, as you know... Saying that they'd got to sack Brian Sewell and get somebody else as their art critic, and they asked me to sign it, and I absolutely refused to sign oh, it because he'd always made me laugh. Yeah, I never signed any letter against
2: anyone
0: no, who made
3: me no. laugh. I thought he was good. He, I, I don't know if pompous
2: would be the right word, but I just liked he just didn't give a fuck who he, what he said. About, he, he'd give his opinion all the time. Yeah, exactly. put his money where his mouth was. You don't see much of that around No, now. definitely not. Definitely not. And when he wrote to me, he, was, he, wasn't, he didn't just say that about the bacon. He was sort of asking me questions, what I'm doing. But I wasn't aware that he used to teach art in Brixton Prison. I didn't know that. How cool is that? I don't know whether he was uh, in jail there at the time or a teacher. He <laughs> <laughs> got employed. I don't, but, think, I don't think he was ever in jail. I don't I think so. Don't think so. No, um, you said... And this is a hard one for most people. If you wasn't an artist, what would you like to be?
3: I suppose I might try and do something useful, <laughs> productive. What would you? you no, know, no. I to mean, do? I. I remember when I was a student at Camberwell, and someone called Robert Medley was the head of painting. And one day I said, Robert, what is the difference between art and craft? And so he sort of looked up in the air, and he said, he said, well, he said, well, dearie, he called everyone dearie. He said, well, dearie, you see, craft is useful. Mm. So the only. Answer to that is that art is useless. I think it's rather wildy in the yeah, phrase yeah, that yeah. all art is quite useless. So I suppose uh, I can't imagine what I could possibly do apart from fiddle about with paint and sculpture and stuff. Um, perhaps I'd try and do something useful, <laughs> but it doesn't come to mind. What?
2: No, might <laughs> make, no. make an
3: effort. You, I,
2: I saw that you was—I I don't know if you still are—but you was doing something to do with. Cyber- Syrian refugees a, a, a little while ago.
3: The painting, yeah, I don't know if it's still on at the tape, that show by artists who happen to be women. Um, a painting called 2016 was one of those boats mm. uh, half-submerged in the sea, yeah. Well, because uh, I know you
2: do like work a lot with the sea. Oh, sorry, I've just seen your... Uh Francis Bacon Maquette over there. Oscar Wilde. Oh, sorry, <laughs> oh, I couldn't There is Oscar a difference. Wilde there. <laughs> Slight difference. An yeah. Oscar Wilde Maquette over there. Yeah, um, yeah I was with uh, the charity Help Refugees this morning sorting out a, a, an exhibition, a future exhibition with those, which I thought was quite a, a coincidence. Is that
3: I, I did do a ser- I mean, that was part of a, I did do some paintings about Aleppo. and. yeah. And it was part of that series, yeah. Nice. Is that the maquette for
2: the Oscar Wilde? That is the maquette. And what was it, it was in conversation with Oscar Wilde,
3: wasn't it? Yeah. Because the idea is you sit there and have a bit of a chat with him. And you see, because he was such a great artist, um, you know, he's still alive because his work goes on. I mean, the you know, the importance of being honest is reckoned by a lot of people to be the greatest comedy in the English language and wherever you look in some theatre somewhere there's something of Oscar Wilde's going on and he was the... F- that Picture of Dorian Gray was the first novel I, I ever read because he's... You know, I'd, I'd heard his... My first school, his ch- stories for children were read to us mm. and they had an enormous effect on me because I'd never heard this voice from another place. You know, suddenly this, this, this voice from somewhere else, unlike anything I'd heard before, and this whole thing of the imagination really sort of opened up for me and everything. And so I asked my parents for his complete works for my 12th birthday. Oh, wow. And I got them trained by then, so they, <laughs> they got me. And so, a picture of Dorian Gray was the first, yeah. <laughs> first um, thing in the book. And so, that was the first novel I ever read.
2: Well, as that's set like that, you've got another little figure set on there, and that's pretty much although it was the other way around when I was set on it. The um, the head was to my right, but yeah, that's pretty cool. I'll take a little snap of that if you
3: don't mind. Have you got anything coming up,
2: Maggie?
3: Well, I've just had two shows in China. I'm. Uh, it's very odd. It's very odd that you know you've you've worked for say three, four years, however long, and you have an exhibition. And and people can walk in and say, "Ah, oh, yes, yes, yes." When's your next exhibition? <laughs> <laughs> they don't seem to realise <laughs> that four or Give five years bounce. of working every yeah. day, you know. It's taken that long to produce these paintings that are now on a wall in a gallery. Um, and then they say, well, when's the next one? But I'm... Um, someone called Randall Wright, who's a very great filmmaker, made a great film about David Hockney quite recently, uh, is making a documentary about me. So uh, yeah, that's going on. That'll be coming on in the spring. And I'm, uh, I'm just working. I just do the same thing every day I get up at five and I work a, yeah, a well I'm, night wide, night. I'm wide awake and if I'd lay in bed I'd just worry about everything so <laughs> I might as well
2: get up get up and crack on with it um, I do ask
3: most artists um, where can people find you social media or website there is com, okay. but uh, that is all done by someone called Hugh Monk who works with me we've worked on all my museum shows and things together we're great friends we talk at eight o'clock every morning and he runs a website. I didn't have anything to do with, to do with. No, no. I've always refused to turn, have anything or touch a computer.
2: Because yeah. I, I did say when I, I was looking to try and get hold of you last year, and I'd said to a few people about getting hold of you, and pretty much every, everyone said, good luck with that. <laughs> well, here I am. <laughs> here you are. Here you are. I was persistent. <laughs>
3: Well, we met at Snake. We then... did.
2: We did meet at Snake. Oh, and what shows. A, what a good meeting right. that was. That show went down well, didn't it?
3: Good, good. It that was, was very good refreshing to see something like that at Snake. Very good, very good.
2: Um, well, Maggie, that's all my questions asked. Very good. Thank you very much for your time. It's all right. I very much appreciate it. Yes, I've got to get ready to
3: leave here at a quarter to four, so that's perfect.
2: Wow. Maggie Hamblin, what an absolute pleasure to have spent some time with that lady. The moment I crossed the threshold into her studio, my eyes and mouth just opened wide. I was like one of the children when they entered Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. There were beautiful artworks everywhere. By I don't know how many different artists. It was like a an artist's wall of fame. I did hesitate to mention in the intro that Maggie loves a non-conformist stroke scoundrel, seeing as that's what she's been all her life. I'm not going to be too cocksure of myself, but I am quietly confident that I made it onto her good side. But as was mentioned previously, I'm sure only Maggie knows that for sure. When I started this podcast, I did have about a dozen artists who was my dream guests. I've had a couple so far, and today I can cross another one off. As Maggie mentioned, she's supported Kursler Arts. Their annual show, Another Me, is on at the Royal Festival Hall until November the 3rd. So if you happen to be along the South Bank, it's open all day, seven days a week, until quite late in the evening. As I mention each week, on wherever you listen to this podcast, you should be able to like, subscribe, or leave a comment. They all only take a second or two, Any of which would be very much appreciated. So, thanks for listening, and until next week,
1: ciao. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus.